Nehemiah 8. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the wide place that was in front of the water gate. And they spoke to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the wide gate that was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and of those that could understand. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God. And all the people said, Amen, Amen. With the lifting up of their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stayed in their place. They read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and they gave the sense so that they understood the reading. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites taught the people and said to all the people, Today is holy to Yahweh your God. Don't mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For today is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Don't be grieved. All the people went their way to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate, because they understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered together to Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. They found written in the law how Yahweh had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in the booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and get olive branches, branches of wild olive, myrtle branches, palm branches, and the branches of thick trees, to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out, brought them, and made themselves temporary shelters. Everyone on the roof of his house, in their courts, in the courts of God's house, in the wide place of the water gate, and in the wide place of Ephraim's gate, all the assembly of those who had come back out of the captivity made temporary shelters, and they lived in the temporary shelters. For since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, to, to the day the children of Israel had not done so, there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Okay, so um, you may not have realised, but this particular chapter is not autobiographical. Now, if you haven't watched my previous um, videos on Nehemiah, 
You'll, I've mentioned a few times that it's written in an autobiographical style where Nehemiah is saying, and then I did this and we did that. And at some points he breaks into prayer and he says, oh Lord, remember me. It's all very much a first person account. But you may not have realized we've suddenly just changed and we're not in a first person account anymore. So some people think that this, uh, this chapter and the next one, I think, are not written by Nehemiah. It's possible that they weren't. So it's possible that someone a little bit later got all the writings of Ezra and the writings of Nehemiah and maybe even some other writings from the period of time and put them all together into the scroll of Ezra, which when was then much later broken up into two scrolls, Ezra and Nehemiah. It's actually possible. So there's a whole field of Bible scholarship called source criticism where they try to work out, you know, was the book written as one whole or was it written in different bits by different people and put together? Because, you know, that type of thing can happen. And um, for example, you know, with Luke, some parts of the gospel of, um, or sorry, the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, some parts he was there for and some parts he's researched. So it's all written by Luke in the case of Luke, but you can see how he's gathered materials from some other place and then for some of it, he just wrote it himself. So it could also be that that's what's happened here too with Nehemiah. He could have gotten the materials from some other place or for some weird reason, he could have just started writing in the third person. Anyway, that, it's all interesting and it doesn't mean it's not the word of God because some people feel that when you start digging into this type of thing that you're questioning the word of God. No, you're not. You're not questioning the word of God at all. It's just being interested in how did we get this book. And um, so it's the word of God um, not because a certain person wrote it. It's the word of God because over time the people of God came to see and the Holy Spirit led them to see that this was the word of God. So it's something that the, the Lord brought about in a process through time called canonization. It's a discussion for another time. So, but interestingly, in this chapter, Ezra and Nehemiah are here together in the one chapter. <laughs> and Ezra, he came back much earlier than Nehemiah, so he would have been older at this point. It says that they were all gathered together, that they were there for hours standing and listening to the word of God. And out in the crowd were Levites who were hearing what was being read and explaining it to the people. So we've got kind of like Bible teaching going on here in the first very obvious way. There's Bible teaching going on earlier in the Bible at the time of Jehoshaphat. And also in the book of Ezra, there's Bible teaching. But here we can see it. There's even a, even a kind of a... Uh, a lectern, like a place to stand, like a platform being built that was described here to elevate himself. And that's probably done so that his voice can be heard. They didn't have microphones back then. So Ezra reads all morning long and all the people stand there. Now, how many of you think that a one hour sermon is long? Because <laughs> if you do, then you clearly were not there when Ezra was there because they, they, the people must have been so captivated by it that they didn't think it was boring. It says that they were moved in the heart to weeping, but Ezra said, don't mourn and don't weep. So these people were given understanding, they were given grace, and then they went out to sacrifice the Feast of Tabernacles. So somewhere in the reading of the law, it described all the various feasts, you know, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the three great feasts. Well, it must have been the right time of the year, I'm assuming, because as soon as they hear about the Feast of Tabernacles, they go out and immediately celebrate it. And it says here that since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, that this had not been celebrated. Now, I think that's quite crazy. 
I think you think of Joshua coming into the promised land around about 1400 BC. So the children of Israel, they leave Egypt 1440-ish BC. They're into the promised land 1400 BC. We're now in the time of Nehemiah around about 400 BC. It's like a thousand years later, approximately. Can you believe that in a thousand years they have not, according to this, they have not kept the Feast of Tabernacles since the days of Joshua? I think that's insane. <laughs> They've had people that have been the king like, well, you know, we know there were people like King Hezekiah who reinstated the Passover, but there were three great feasts. What about the other ones? Well, here we find out that they just weren't keeping them all this whole entire time. That's crazy. Of the three feasts, and you'll have to go back to our Leviticus um, and Deuteronomy books if you want to get more of information about the feasts. But of the three feasts, Passover was really um, all about salvation. You know, it was coincided with coming out of Egypt, deliverance from slavery, being saved. And as Christians, we have a Passover celebration, and that is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. He's our Passover lamb. Pentecost, the second feast, was about the giving of the law. It was in the desert. It was to remind them that the Lord gave them the law. For us in the New Testament, Pentecost is, a, is the giving of the Holy Spirit, which was the new law. The Holy Spirit's supposed to be in our hearts and, you know, guiding us. He's kind of like the law that we have. And then the third great feast was the Feast of Tabernacles, which reminded them they were in the desert, you know, they were temporarily living in, in tents, but that God was with them because he was with them with a pillar of cloud and by fire. So the third feast is a reminder that God is with us. He tabernacles with us. We tabernacle with him. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We live with God and we live with each other. All the three great feasts are fabulous, but we often don't think about them. We often don't think about the, the wonderful symbolism for us of faith. So here we've got a moment when the, the people are reading the law of the Lord and realizing, oh, we've never ever kept that third feast. And they go out and they celebrate it with great, great joy. I think it's terrific. I'm not saying to go and set up a tent in the backyard <laughs> to do this. Uh, I, that's not what it means to do. Years ago in Mount Morgan, I had a, um, I'll call him a brother because he really was a brother, but he was a confused brother. And he was a guy that kind of got saved on his own. You know, he was an alcoholic, had some struggles, and he got a Bible one day and he really wanted to do what was right. He had a good heart. And he, he, he started reading his Bible from Genesis and he, he thought he was just going to do whatever the Lord said. <laughs> so he gets to the Sabbath, you know, Ten Commandments. Oh, I've got to keep the Sabbath. And he started, this is, this is the sincerity of the man, not realizing that Christ is our Sabbath, you know, not realizing that these things were put in the Old Testament to teach us greater things. And then he gets to the feast and he starts keeping them. So this bloke used to keep tabernacles by, you know, living in a temporary shelter. He, he did the whole thing. He was very, very sincere, but he didn't understand that, that we have tabernacles with Christ. Christ has come to dwell with us. The fulfillment of the feasts has already happened. And if you're walking with Christ, you already keep the feasts by remaining close to him. And uh, so I personally would not set up a tent in my backyard. It's not going to make you any holier. It's not going to make you closer to God. And in fact, if you try doing these things, thinking that's going to make you a better Christian, you're now trying to please God by works rather than by grace and faith. So in fact, it may be harmful for your faith and not beneficial. But having said that, 
Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with setting up a tent in the backyard. I know my kids, they love setting up tents in the backyard and we've done it a few times. If, if you're doing it for fun, uh, by all means. Uh, I know um, we did the Passover once in Mount Morgan. The Anglican Church put on a Passover celebration one night. We didn't actually sacrifice a lamb. Uh, you know, we didn't go that far, but we, you know, they did the traditional, I think it's called the Haggadah. I think that's what it's called. So we did the traditional thing and they read out the Jewish things. Now, we weren't doing it that night in Mount Morgan to be pleasing to God. We were doing it out of cultural interest. So, you know, like there are, every year we have annual holidays like Anzac Day or the Queen's Birthday or Labor Day. We keep those things not to be closer to God, but out of cultural habit. So if you're doing something for out of culture, you know, if you're Jewish and you, you're, you're keeping, um, you know, Hakanah, what it is, and remembering, you know, the Maccabean revolt, like if you're doing things out of cultural reasons, then great, you can enjoy it. <laughs> but if you're doing it to get because you think that's going to make you closer to God, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Lord, I want to thank you for the great feasts of Israel. And I thank you all they show us about Christ. And Lord, I pray you draw us near to you and we would dwell with Christ, that your power would be at work within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.